Are you saying that my weight shouldn't be on my left side for every pick like I do in every round? <laughs> yeah, correct. You do oh, not God. need that. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> you do not need that. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Heart Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got my partner in crime, Mr. Matt Cermak, with me. What's up, Ev? It's good to be back, and I'm fired up. I've never, I'm going to tell you this right now, I've never seen Cermak this fired up in an interview, okay? I think wow. he just met his kindred spirit, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, if your golf game's off the rails, if you're sick around the struggle bus, you come to the right place. The Part Train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. Because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The Partrain Podcast unpacks the mental game with PGA Tour pros like today. Best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy. Help you finally get back on track. This episode of The Train is presented by Roback Activewear, performance apparel, whatever you want to call it. Stretchy, soft, stylish, anything you want from a vest, a hoodie, to a long sleeve performance tee, to a polo, to joggers, to shorts. They've got it. It's all we wear. Go to Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off. If that code doesn't work, enter a new email, do whatever you have to do. If you forget the code, tap our link in bio at the part train on Instagram. You tap that, get 15% off Roback. It'll auto apply in your cart. You don't have to worry about the code there. We got you covered. Thanks to Roback. But let's get to this episode with Parker McLaughlin, you might know him as the short game chef or at short game chef on Instagram, probably one of the best follows, if not oh, the yeah. best follow for the short game on Instagram, shortgamechef.com. I might become his next subscriber. Well, you should. I think I might. But so Sir Mac and I were joking. I might actually. Before I might we started recording. Get a lesson. I think we're going to go out to Scottsdale and maybe shoot some content with Parker after this, because I think a lot of you are going to be frothing at the mouth when you listen to this. For me, we were just joking. The Bob Rotella, Dr. Joe Parent episodes, I was like at my peak of like sheer joy. Geeking just out. Top geeking of the moon, out, geeking right? out. This was Sir Mac today. He yeah. heard a PJ Tour pro, PJ Tour winner in 2008, and now short game coach on tour and helping amateurs say, quote, I was the guy hitting it left and right, but getting up and down from anywhere. And that has been kind of your identity, your game. You've been known as the guy who can get up and down from anywhere. So I thought you guys really bonded on this conversation. And yeah. our minds were still blown. We've never done an interview like this. And I mean, Parker's creating a short game movement, you know, for the modern game, as he describes. Mm-hmm. I mean, short game chef, how good of a name is that? Right. Spicy recipes. You love that. Mm-hmm. A lot of spice talk. But <laughs> This is so important for everybody listening, like not only working on your short game, it's been the year of the short game, but understanding the short game, he breaks down the misconceptions. Guys, I bet you every shot, you bet you got your weight on your left side. Back in the stance. Putting everything back in the stance. Well, we debunk that. And we talk about a lot of the misconceptions of the short game, a lot of the misconceptions around teaching, how he trains his pre-shot putting routine, Ev. I mean, that mm. was big. So we do touch on putting. Yeah. And he just got me thinking a lot, Ev, too, about my own short game. Two areas where I'm, at least because I don't bunker game might change. I don't practice as much, but I've gotten weaker on tighter lies, and I've gotten weaker on spinning bunker shots. And he thinks, you know, thinks I'm way too open. Square it up, release the club. And so, so much good talk about how to play different shots, but also how to think around the greens. Absolutely special episode. Parker's going to come back. I think we're going to dive a little bit deeper into some other topics, but um, if you're not following him, if you don't know him, get on it. He's, he's a game changer in golf right now. It was a great way to end the year of the short game, but that doesn't mean folks on the short game is going to stop in 2023. I better not. It may not be our theme, but if you listen to our last episode, but it's still got to be a focus. Okay. And we get to that. So thank you to Parker. And guys, yeah. I, I know, I don't even need to ask if this adds value to your game. I know it will add value to your game. When it does, give us a follow at the part on Instagram, Twitter, yes. and give us a review yes. at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It means a lot. It's all we ask. And no matter how you're hitting it, where that ball goes, what are they going to do around the greens, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys.
Parker McLaughlin, the Short Game Chef. Welcome aboard the Par Train, my friend. We're excited to have you. Man, once Parker. you get on the Par Train, you don't want to leave, right? I mean, you know, a lot of people. We've Fewer said this words. in other. We've said this in other <laughs> episodes, Parker. Not enough people respect Par. We think we're. It's only about birdies, but you got to respect old man Par. Yeah. So I went to UCLA, and Eddie Marins was was the coach there for a number of years, and the, the head pro at Bel Air. And he was always one to say, look, all you're trying to do is beat old man par. That's all you're trying to do. If you're one under par, you've beaten old man par for the day. It's a good day. So I've been thinking, sir, maybe so we my, need some old man par shirts. Well, that's what my, my dad used to say, you know, when we were kids, I had three brothers. It's all about old man par boys, you know? And then we were talking on the last episode, be sure to respect par. You're in trouble. Have par in your mind, right? Because it can get away quick from par. For sure. Well, Parker... We are telling you off air, 2022 is the year of the short game. And what better way to close out the year? You're right. We probably should have had you in January. That's on us. But we're making up for lost time. And since you're the short game chef, I had to ask you before we dive into everything. I heard you like spicy recipes. And I just want to put this to rest, okay? I've wondered this for a while. People have told me one thing. Other people have told me another. I'm a big spicy guy. Is it possible to burn off? my taste buds have i taken it too far with hot sauce and crushed red pepper on everything i mean you're the short game chef you like spicy let's start here yeah i would say not it's not possible you oh, throw the red pepper okay. flakes on anything <laughs> i you know my my wife at home she throws red pepper flakes on a kale salad oh. so it you can yeah got you a can soft go. spot for your wife in my heart now i exactly. love that exactly yeah you can you can go full bore with the spice you can't overdo it with the crushed red pepper with the pizza when you order it. Can't overdo oh, it. Can't do it. Fun. For, actually, <laughs> before Serm jumps in, because I know he's dying to ask you this quote. Fun story for you, Parker. You'll appreciate this. When I was a senior at Arizona, I went to this local, it was called Local Dough, local pizza joint after an Arizona football game. The owner of the restaurant comes up to me. He goes, oh, can I get you another slice? You need me to get you another slice? And I go, what are you talking about? I had poured so much crushed red pepper on my pizza he thought the top fell off and he oh. needed to get me a replacement. I said, oh, no, sir. I did that on purpose. He looked at me like I was crazy. So I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page here. That's you sad. never have too much spice. All right. Well, I'll put that to bed. <laughs> All right. So we got a quote for you that you said, Parker, we always kind of like to dive into these. You said tour players are like poker players in that they are always trying to play the odds and stack them in their favor. So they have the greatest chance for success on each shot. So. What's the most common example you would say that tour players play the odds versus amateurs when they don't? There's a number of situations, but I would say first off would be just your simple shot around the green off of a tight lie, simple shot around the green. Tour players are most often using the bounce, taking minimal turf, allowing that club to graze on the top of the turf and not getting too diggy, not letting that leading edge dig in there. And so I would say, that's probably the, the, the most blatant example. Another one would be, you know, out of the bunker. You'd be surprised at how many times tour players use less than their most lofted club. So perfect example, I caddied for a good buddy of mine, Ricky Barnes, in the Sony Open. He Monday qualified maybe five years ago. And I was already over there. And so I said, he said, hey, will you loop it for me? I was like, absolutely. Of course, I grew up at Anyhow, he, he hit it in a number of bunkers the first couple of days. And I was shocked at how many times he reached for his 55 degree and his 51 degree out of greenside bunkers, hmm. not always reaching for that 59 or 60 degree, but he played them beautifully, right? He, he would find a spot just onto the green and let this thing roll out like a putt. So he wasn't trying to fly it all the way to the hole, have a bunch of spin on it and make it stop and make it dance. So I would say, that's a place where he's trying to use the odds in his favor. He's like, I don't need to hit a perfect shot. I know I can hit it two inches behind the ball, still have this thing get out onto the green and roll like a putt. And so I would say those are a couple of instances where tour players try to stack the odds in their favor. And they're not necessarily even like consciously thinking it. It's just processing, like really, really computer fast, like data processing, like, boom, I can see this already playing out. This is what I'm going to go with because I know this is going to be my best chance for success. That's interesting, right? Tight lies, obviously being able to chip consistently off tight lies. It's a skilled shot. It's something amateurs need to continue to work on, at least understand how to work on it. And then bunker, what you just said to the amateur is just be a little smarter, be a little safer. Get that thing on 10, 12 feet. That's okay. 
like 15 feet, right? You have that awareness, it sounds like. Absolutely. And I think we've gotten into a spot of like seeing the highlight reels on TV of Phil Mickelson hitting these massive high flop shots or someone hitting out of the bunker and grabbing it, spinning it. And then everybody wants to try those shots. It's like, man, those are the highlight reels. Those are the sports center top 10 plays. That's not what these guys are doing, you know, on an everyday basis. If you go and watch like a PGA tour live and you watch a Jordan Spieth or a Justin Thomas for 18 holes, you're going to see some bad shots. You're going to see them end up in some weird spots around the greens. And you're going to see these guys hit shots. Like, you know, JT is going to hit a five wood running it up, up onto the green from a tight lie. It's not like he's always hitting some crazy spinner. Jordan Spieth, I've watched him at Hilton Head. I was covering his group for PGA Tour Live and I watched him for 18 holes. And it was like, I mean, the amount of like chunk and run bunker shots that he hit that went out and then ended up going in the hole was like, it wasn't like he was flying it, spinning it having it spin back into the hole, but it was amazing how good his bunker game was, but he was always picking his spot out. And then it seemed like it would run to the hole. And I'm talking like more often than not, you yeah. know, once in a while you'll get that great lie and these guys are like short-sided yeah. and they need to spin it and they got to go high with some spin and they'll hit that crazy cool shot. And that's the one that makes the highlight reels. But for the most part, what I'm trying to help people do is stack the odds in their favor, especially the amateur golfer help them stack the odds in their favor so that they can still have their worst shot end up within that 10 foot circle. So yeah. Parker, let me ask you, cause from like from the outside looking in, you know, as a high single digit handicap up to a 20 handicap, we would watch a tour pro and we're looking at these guys. They can all chip it. They can all pitch it. They can all putt. Obviously the stats, some people are better than others, but I'm just curious, like what does separate, the best of the best around the greens. Is it the ability to compute and pick the right shot? Cause a lot of them can hit a ton of different shots. We've seen it with tiger. What separates the best players around the greens when the bright lights are on? I would say that a couple of, a couple of things to that. Um, two of the guys that I love watching right now are Cam Smith and Jordan speed. I think they've got the most versatile games they can go super narrow go leading edge and hit you know hit the one where they're hitting down on the ball quite a bit hit those little low ones but they can also then shift and they can go really wide really shallow really come in there and brush the grass be able to hit those sort of floaty pitch shots that really stack the odds in their favor they've just got the most variety and they can shift back and forth really easily, which is a, it's a very difficult skill to, to be able to do. Most guys that you would see like Scotty Scheffler, he's a bit more on the steep side. So when you watch him pitch around the greens, he's taking a bunch of turf. Now he's really good at it, but at the same time, I don't ever really see him going super wide and shallow. Whereas a Jordan Spieth and a Cam Smith can, they can go back and forth. Phil Mickelson would be another example. We always see Phil hitting those crazy high flop shots that make Sports Center unbelievable, right? We're all mind blown. And Phil's amazing out of the bunker, but Phil has a tough time going to that wide, shallow motion, that Steve Stricker type of emotion, which is, I think, part of the reason why in his career he's never finished in the top 20 in strokes gained around the green, right? Phil hits the amazing shot really well, but he also doesn't necessarily hit the simple shot as close mm. as he probably should. I would say the two guys that I look at, Jordan Spieth and Cam Smith, they can be very versatile with getting really, really steep, but then also getting really shallow. I think that's the really a, a lost art. And, and usually I find a player is usually one way or the other. That's a really great breakdown of kind of the, their styles. And from what I, I'm gathering, it's take Phil, he's the best with his hands, but maybe not the best with his arms and some of his big muscles, right? Steve Stricker is a great example. You can picture Steve Stricker's swing. It doesn't look like there's any hands. Not that there isn't, but he's more of a big muscles where Phil's Correct. much more of a handsy player. And that kind yeah. of you look at Phil, right? And even though he never won a US Open, the US Opens have always been known for thick rough, especially around the greens. Right. So Phil, his really steep angles, right, are really helpful around the greens. And he's got six second place finishes at US Opens. Yeah. Steve Stricker has really struggled at US Opens because his wide motion out of that really thick rough is not great. Can't right. And so the speed can't. Yeah, mm. exactly. Right. And that club just, just hangs in the grass for, for far too long. He doesn't create a steep enough angle of attack down. 
so it, it's just a it's just an interesting thing to sort of pay attention to and look at to see you know which guys like Matthew Wolf also you know very very steep with his short game played really well at that US Open at Wingfoot right finished his second but he's not one of those guys where I would say is really shallow with his short game right so kind of what you're saying Parker now that I've taken in the breakdown is what separates players because Serm always told me, let the lie dictate the shot. And I think I used to make a ton of the same mistakes most amateurs do, which is you get kind of in, you get stuck in technique, you get stuck in what's helped you have solid contact before, and you're trying to use the same motion for shots that don't call for it. And what you're saying is the best pros are able to manipulate the shot for what the shot calls for, or I guess the yeah, swing and the motion for what the shot the calls movement, for. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's sort of what I teach. I mean, you, the release pattern that we're going to use for a, a standard 30 yard pitch shot off of a tight lie is completely different than what I'm going to teach for out of the rough from 30 yards or mm. out of the rough from 10 yards or out of the bunker or trying to hit a flop shot. These are all different types of release patterns that it's not just one size fits all. I will say like, if I'm going to mimic somebody out of a fairway lie, it's going to be Steve Stricker because that guy is so wide and so shallow. That's the dude that I want to mimic. Now, if I want to mimic somebody around the green in a rough lie, I'm going to mimic Phil Mickelson, but I'm not going to mimic Phil's motion from the fairway. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Well, I want to get into release patterns a little later because I love some of your videos kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, but first, you know, you've got to, for our listeners, you've got to sum up your short game philosophy. We'd love to hear your PGA Tour winner played on the mini tours, ton of success. How'd you create your philosophy? Who did you learn from, and what you're trying to do as we talked off air with the game and with your students now? Yeah, I would say I was always really good at short game. I was never a great ball striker, but I always had a knack for getting it up and down. I mean, I would get it up and down from trash cans. Like literally, like I would get it up and down from everywhere. When I won in Reno, I was, I had a six shot lead going into Sunday and I hit one green on the front nine that Sunday and I was even par through nine holes. Right. So I was eight for eight in up and downs through nine riding, holes. Riding that train, Parker. Riding that <laughs> yeah, train. Yeah, get that par train. Maybe a birdie yep. in there on the par five too. Maybe it's not like. No, no, it was not <laughs> All nine pars. pars in the front nine just Love hanging that. on. But I was always really good at, at finding a way to get it up and down. And I just had a knack for it. I didn't really know how I was doing it, but I was always good at doing it. Uh, I knew my, my putting stuff was really good. My, my routine, my mental preparation for putts was really good and really world-class. But besides that, I didn't really know how I was chipping it close and bunkering it close. I got really fortunate to spend quite a bit of time with Paul Azinger, probably about eight or nine years ago. He took me under his wing and I was, I was in a really sort of a dark place with my own golf game, just hitting it this way. And Paul said, Hey, once you come out and, and let me help clear the cobwebs and, and help you kind of get back to the, to the athlete that you're meant to be in that sort of time, we, we spent quite a bit of time on short game and he had some really interesting philosophies that I had never really heard before. And it was a better way of doing things than how I was doing things on a couple of different fronts. And so as I started to understand those and learn more about them, I started to say, and as I started to dive into the teaching part, because I was just, you know, in the beginning, you know, it was probably seven years that we, we probably, I would go back to his house for, you know, a week at a time and we would just play golf and talk golf and the whole thing. And I was working my way out playing wise. And so, you know, 2018, I had a couple of top 25 finishes on the PGA tour and but as I, as I started to work more into the coaching side of it and, and teaching short game, just sort of, it just sort of happened, not that I was like trying to do that, but it just sort of happened. I started to test some of Paul's theories with force plates, with track man, with all of this stuff that is available to us to look at spin rates, to look at angle of attack, to look at where the pressure is. And I started to realize, man, this, you know, this dude was smart and he was onto it. He knew by just digging it out of the dirt, he figured out what worked the more amount of times than what didn't work. And so it was just really cool to be able to categorize and be like, oh, well, he said this. Okay, well, that's that, that actually is true. Oh, if your path is this way, hmm, that's actually more helpful than if your path is the other. So I was able to start putting the pieces of the puzzle together and then developing my own 
theories as to how to get to that final product, which is what Paul was so good at, at presenting and at telling me how he got there. I was able to sort of put the pieces of the puzzle together and see, okay, this is what the best players in the world do. And then this is what amateurs do. And there's a big disconnect. And so as I was trying to bridge the gap, I started coming up with something like flight lines, which is just helpful for people with their setup, which is Vokey Wedges has adopted it and you can order it on their Wedgework site. But things like that, where I'm trying to help bridge the gap of, hey, PGA Tour players are doing these certain things in their short game motions, right? How can I help amateur players do the same type of things? And so I call it helping amateurs modernize their short games. My whole thought is like, it's such a short swing. This is the closest place where amateurs can be just like professionals, right? A putting stroke is, is really this far. Why can you guys not do what a professional does? If the stroke is only this far, you should legit be able to do what a pro does with putting. And I think the same thing for chipping and pitching and bunkers. Like essentially you should be able to do the same things that pros do in those motions. I can't help you create 125 mile an hour clubhead speed, but I can sure I can surely help you create a short game that can get you, you know, in that five, six foot circle more times than not. So I don't know if you could sense this, Parker, but did you see how excited Cermak was getting as you were talking about your background where you were hitting it like this both ways, but you could get it up and down from anywhere? You just described my friend, Matt Cermak, our mutual best friend who we met through his teammate at Missouri State is a ball striking machine. Cermak would be all over the map and they'd end up shooting the same score and it would just drive them nuts. So Cermak and you are, I think, kindred spirits. We can bond a little bit, you know, about the grind, right? But it can be satisfactory when you get up and down from everywhere. But that what you said about the trash can, my older brother, Joe, played with Mark Wilson in a US Open sectional. And it's exactly what he said about him. He goes, I hit it better than Mark. He goes, but he was literally getting up and down from a trash can all day and- he beat me by one, you know, like he shot 72 and he shot 71. Like, but, and Mark Wilson won multiple times on the tour. It's yeah. But Mark Wilson's won five times on the PGA tour. Right, his yeah. Honda classic was so famous. Like it's just, it's a great story and a great background of, for our listeners. Well, Parker, yeah. you, you said you had a world-class mindset around your putting. Maybe let's start there. Cause we're going to get into more pitching and shipping and stuff, but you said something really interesting with Anna, women's British Open champ that you work with, you guys talked about how you kind of debated what makes a putt lip out versus what makes a putt go in, forgetting the imperfections of a green and the variability of putting. And you said something that I found really interesting. Maybe it has to do with, maybe you're alluding to this, of how it was your routine, but your routine not just to do the same thing every time, but your routine to basically give yourself a better chance to get into a flow state because with a flow state comes less negative thoughts and doubt, more creativity, more athleticism, hence Tiger Woods willing the putts into the hole. Talk through your mental routine of your putting. And is that what you were referencing with your world-class mindset? Yeah, that's exactly what I was referencing. And, And I would always start my putting routine. I would always start it as I'm walking to the green probably when I was about Mm. 30, 40, 50 yards from the green, Mm. I was already stalking that putt. I mean, I was like so into that putt and I knew this is where I shined. And I was, I'm either looking at my yardage book or I'm paying attention to, okay, I'm left of the pin, pin high, 20 feet. I know this green slopes back to front. I know this putt is going to have a left to right tendency to it. So I'm already getting into that mindset of what this putt's about to do. As I'm walking up onto the green, I'm trying to see it from every single angle that I can. So I I won't necessarily just walk straight to my ball. I may start and I may walk around to the backside of the hole and look at it from there. And then I may walk around on the high side to look at it from there. And then as I mark the ball, clean it off, then I'm going to go look at it from the low side halfway in between. So that's where it really all starts. Like I'm fully engaged as I'm walking up onto the green and I'm stalking it like you know, like a, like a leopard would stalk its prey. Like I am stalking this thing. Right. And so to me, it starts there. And so as I'm fully engaged in that, there's not a whole lot of chit chat going on 
with me and my playing partners once I'm on the green. Like if I'm really engaged, I'm so engaged in what this putt is doing and trying to see every little angle because if I can process every angle that's there and I'm just sort of allowing myself to, to process it, I'm not thinking thoughts and I'm just sort of allowing myself to process what I'm seeing. And as I do that, once I get in there behind the ball and I'm, and I'm sort of remarking it, I'm trying to then start seeing a line. And when I was doing it at my best, legitimately, I would see a line that would like the Bagger Vance movie. I would legitimately see something like that. And so I could see that just sort of illuminate for me. And I would then get behind it. I would kind of get down like this. And then I could really, really see what was happening. Once I did that, I knew I had already made the putt. And once I did that, I would go through my routine, which would help reinforce that, which would help get me into that flow state. So my routine was built to get me into a flow state, but it was also built to help allow me to really get in touch with the feels of that stroke. Mm. So in my routine, I would go through and I would make a rehearsal stroke and I would really feel the ball hitting the putter face. I would see it then take off and I would see it then rolling into the hole. And if I had made that putt in my head, in my rehearsal stroke, I was then given the green light. Like that was a green light stroke. Boom, I made it. Now I step in and I just repeat, right? So I really made it simple. Mm. And if I felt like I made a stroke that was crappy and I missed the putt, then I would take another rehearsal stroke. I wouldn't allow myself, especially in the early stages of my career, when I was really building this routine, I wouldn't allow myself to step into the putt until I had gotten the green light. If I had a yellow light or a red light, I wouldn't step into the putt. I would stay there and make two rehearsal strokes or three rehearsal strokes until I really got the green light. And once I did that, then I could just step in and repeat. And that, and that to me was the simplest way of, of me really getting in touch with my feel, right? I had already done it visually behind the ball. So now I'd seen my line and I, I knew exactly what the putt was going to do. Then I was tapping into what I was doing feel-wise. And then once I felt like I'd gotten the green light, boom, I stepped in. And all I needed to do was just repeat that muscle memory, right? Because I had already done it. And that, and that was, that was for me, the simplest way to get into flow and to engage my eyes and to engage my feel. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break here from a new sponsor, and then we'll get you right back to the show. So we worked with these guys over a year ago. I'm bringing them back for you guys because they're my favorite way to stay hydrated. Now, a lot of people here, yeah, stay hydrated, stay hydrated. I think the key is why do you want to be hydrated? There's a ton of health benefits, but a lot of you might drink alcohol, and when you wake up and you hadn't been hydrating, you're going to feel hungover. And when you feel hungover on the golf course or not, it's just, I'm 35 years old now, okay? The last thing I want to feel is feeling hungover. So I actually reached out to these guys for you. They didn't reach out to us at first, okay? I scoured the internet trying to find a clean hydration multiplier and I just couldn't find it. I looked at like 10 options and all the ingredients were bad. You couldn't pronounce pretty much anything on the label and it was super sugary and just didn't taste good. So I finally found Cure Hydration Packets, okay? My favorite flavor is lemon. It's not sugary, there's no sugar and it's super subtle but it still tastes good. So. I found Cure Hydration. I drink one in the morning, every morning, and on my bachelor party, and again, I don't drink that often, but on my bachelor party, I had one in the morning and one before bed, and I woke up feeling great every morning. So go to curehydration.com, enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 20% off, get yourself some easy hydration. It's a simple pack, put in your water bottle, you're gonna get so much better ingredients and taste than all the other options that have terrible ingredients and are too sugary. So curehydration.com, enter the code train, 20% off, stay hydrated, and now let's get back to the show. You talked about when you're playing your best, you've got this world-class process, but what sometimes prevents you from hitting your checkpoints, and you said making your putt, which you know, Dr. Joe Parent talked, before you hit it, you just, did I make, or you know, did I make my putt? Am I doing my job? But it's hard, you know, like it's, it's hard. Yeah, to- it's hard, but I, I would have times where I would, you know, I know a 30 footer was, was already going in before I even stepped into the pot. Like I just wouldn't know that it was, it was already in through the visuals I'd already gotten. And so I would say that the things that keep you out of it are the, the thoughts, the fears, the doubts, the checklists, the checking on your stroke, 
Like I would take my practice stroke looking at the hole, my rehearsal stroke. I would take it looking at the hole yeah. so that I wouldn't then get ball bound. I wouldn't get stroke bound. I wouldn't be analyzing, oh, that stroke went too far inside. Oh, that stroke went too far outside. Mm. I was looking at the hole, really feeling what this was about to feel like, trying to measure it up with my feels and not then getting too far into left brain where I was fears, doubts, too many thoughts, too many checklists, too many you know, too many left brain thoughts, which would really hinder my creativity. And so I would never really be looking down at my putter thinking, oh, my grip pressure is too tight. Oh, I need to loosen it. Oh, I just took that one too far on the outside. Oh, my face looks shut going back. Any of those thoughts, they throw you off of the ability to, to make a free, creative, athletic stroke. I, I always liken it to, you know, shooting free throws. It's probably the most similar thing to putting. And I always compare... Well, do you want to do you want to shoot a free throw like Steph Curry or do you want to shoot a free throw like Shaquille O'Neal? Right. You look at Shaq mm. and he gets in there and he's bouncing the ball and you, you never know how many times he's bouncing it. And then he gets in there and he's <laughs> waiting and waiting. And, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he, he 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 shoots it and you're like, boy, it looks like there's so many thoughts going on there. Whereas Steph, right. it's like he's got the thing hanging out, which, you know, softens his like I always put with my tongue in between you know i hit yeah. most of my short game shots if you look at some of the, See the pictures and videos bit. most of my yeah. short game shots i'm hitting with yeah. my tongue in between <laughs> in between my teeth and in between my lips mm. steph curry's got that you know mouth guard hanging out like there's a reason he's doing that right it's hanging there so that his jaw isn't clenched right he's just sort of michael jordan same thing with his tongue out there's a reason that players do that they're in that flow state and they're not being held back by these left brain thoughts if you're Shaquille O'Neal and you're you're thinking you're waiting you're waiting and then you pop pull the trigger versus Steph Curry who's bounce bounce look go right it's like there's such a difference in flow there which is why Steph shoots it at a 92 percent clip and Shaq was closer to 50 percent same thing with putting (laughs) Evan loves the words creative and athletic but before you maybe get into that I do think it's so important a closed loop on your your routine your world-class routine about 30, 40, 50 yards away from the green, you're approaching the green, already surveying your next task. Where I've gotten in trouble over the years, and even a little bit this summer, let's say even 80 yard shot and you make the worst swing. I'm still thinking about that swing 30, 40, 20 yards as I'm getting up to my putt, right? And I've already, I've maybe lost, right? I'm, I've got to work now harder to get back to that flow state. I think that's a big thing for amateurs too, is you got to let it go. It's hard, but you want to get to that world-class mindset. It's what you described. Yeah, and, it, and it, start, about- it starts before you get on the green. It starts as you're walking up, really trying to understand what is this putt going to do? Because I always just felt like every single putt was makeable. It was the part of golf where it's like, well, your drive, you're sort of hitting it in this massive area. There's nothing really to, you know, well, if you're on the right side of the fairway, it's way better. It's like, you're just trying to hit it in the fairway, somewhere in the fairway, right? And then you're just trying to hit it somewhere on the green. But once you get onto the green, I always felt like, okay, now I'm ratcheting up my focus and my intensity because now I actually, I can actually make it into this hole. Like that's, I just felt like the, the, I was that much closer to my goal. Once I was on the green, it was like, okay, now I'm trying to make it into this hole. And so I just always sort of upped my game, upped my intensity, up my focus level once I stepped on the green, because I thought every putt was, was pretty much makeable. Now, there's putts that are not makeable, but the general sentiment is I'm now on the green. I have a chance to actually like finish this hole off. Right. Yeah. Wasn't it interesting, sir, that Parker talks about that with excitement where a lot of people talk about that with anxiety because the result is right in front of us and a two or three or four footer we know in our mind is makeable, which then gets us rooted in the result. But one thing I really want to hit home for our listeners that I took away from your routine is two things. One, you're filling your head with very clear pictures of what you're trying to do and what you see. And a lot of people don't realize we had this great author about don't believe everything you think. It's all about how absence of thought is actually when you get out of suffering. Do you ask someone, what what were you thinking when... Like when you won your tour event in 08, like what were you thinking? And if you were having like a really low round, most people say I wasn't thinking about anything. But if you're having a really poor round, 
in a really miserable round, there's probably a swirl of thoughts of negative thoughts of doubt of fear, all that stuff. So the one thing I think people don't realize is it's not necessarily, you can't stop thoughts coming in, but you can sure as hell focus on things that are more productive. And what you're doing, Parker, is you're filling your head with the picture of what you're trying to do. You're walking up to the putt, not thinking about, I have to make this for this so that I can get here. You're thinking about, you're getting wrapped up in, okay, I'm, you're excited. What is the slope doing here? You're like a detective. Now you're filling your head with that and you don't start until you've already made your motion. And what you've also done is your stroke is not to make a putt. You actually, I love the way you talked about that. It wasn't the stroke to make. You're just repeating something. Your stroke to make was in your practice stroke. The process. You know? So you're getting caught up in just repeating something. You've taken yourself out of what it means. So you get very executional focused and you have to see it go in before you start. A lot of people could benefit from that. Yeah, that's my little key that unlocks my freedom on the greens is I I take the time and the effort and the energy to really put a lot into my rehearsal stroke. Once I do that successfully, the real stroke just becomes easy because now all I need to do is just repeat what I've just done physically, right? I've just made this stroke. Okay, that one felt like it went in. Now I step in and all I need to do is repeat. And to me, that's my little, my freedom lock and key right there. I'm just like, I've unlocked all my freedom because now all I need to do is just repeat the, the motion I just made. I love that's, that. That's, that's extremely freeing in, in my mind. Now that's on the greens. Let me ask you this. Around the greens, we talked about different release patterns for different shots. And I always hear our listener in my ear. I'm listening to the 15, 20, 10 handicap and what they might be thinking. And I heard them say, damn, that's, that's kind of like intimidating. That's how, I, I don't even have one motion release pattern down. Where the hell do I start? What do I focus on? If we're telling people to spend half their time at the short game area, maybe go back to what we talked about at the very beginning, which was modernizing the short game and reversing some of these bad habits that we've been taught for so many years. Like, where do you start with 115 handicap to stack their odds in their favor? They don't have a ton of time to practice. What can they do better? Where should they start practicing? I would say that 15 handicapper is usually most afraid of the tight lie. And these days with agronomy getting so good, they're able to cut the grass so much tighter and lower. And the way that golf courses have gone, and I can see, you know, you've got a band and dunes, a couple of little band and dunes stuff behind you, yeah. right? It's all tight areas with fall-offs right mm -hmm. the rough's not growing up high anymore it's all these fall-offs and these runoffs into these low areas where it's cut tight where i would start with that 15 handicap is saying okay you don't always have to use your highest lofted wedge for those types of shots that's number one but you do need to have an understanding of how to play a shot with a higher lofted club off of a tight lie and if you can do that you can understand that motion to me, that's something that can save you two, three, four, five shots per round, because rather than trying to hit that chip or pitch shot with a high lofted club and then chunking it, right, because now you're chipping it again, or you blade it because you're afraid of the chunk sent over the green, that's double, triple X, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say if you can get a consistent motion with your tight lie, now all of a sudden you're not afraid of that tight lie anymore. And you can use the bounce. You can hit it within that six to 10 foot area on the green every time. That's the best place to start because then you play it back to going backwards towards the tee box. So let's say you hit it in the trees. You don't feel like you have to hit a miracle shot to get it up on the green. You can say, you know what? I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to hit it to 50 yards, 40 yards. And then I know I can hit this thing onto the green. I know I can get this. Right within that 10 foot circle and have a chance for par rather than trying to hit the hero miracle shot that gets you onto the green. Cause you're so afraid of chipping. So it, yeah. it then bleeds back into everything, which mm -hmm. then hopefully bleeds back into your T ball, which you're like, all right, I can kind of swing free. Cause I know my short game's decent and it's going to save me if I hit a bad one. So I think if we can start with that simple two yards off the green to 50 yards off the green from a tight lie, 
work on emotion. Like I said, the guy that I like to watch the most from a tight lie is a Steve Stricker. Jason Day has a, a great motion. Keith Mitchell, who we've talked about, who I've spent quite a bit of time with in the last year and a half, who I know you guys have had on here, has developed into one of the best motions, I think, on tour. If we can develop into a motion that looks like those guys, now all of a sudden you've got a chance to really brush the grass, stay nice and shallow, engage the bounce, and have yourself a motion that you can trust the turf interaction and you can trust the club interaction with the turf. You can trust that every single time. That that would be the goal. That would say I would start there because most courses don't have like massive rough like U.S. Open rough anymore. So I would say let's start with the tight lies, build you a nice motion so that you can trust ground interaction and turf interaction with your club. Parker, when you talk about the misconceptions, and that's what you're like, you're trying to expose and cut through. You pointed this out in a video, and this really hit home for me because obviously the, a misconception of everybody's teaching weight on the left side, handle forward, back in your stance. You talked about all right, this is it was like a some sort of low chipper pitch. Let's kind of put this back on our stance, but we don't even get the weight on our left side. And typically, people associate back in the stance with the weight on the left side. Now, granted, it is leaning that way, but I found myself. And I've been playing my whole getting in trouble with some of that. And then you talked about how the shoulders then move left, you get steep and God knows what's going to happen. You chunk it. <laughs> but you also talk a lot about where the handle relate, where the handle should be. And I was taught that way. It doesn't always need to be forward. It can be in the middle. It can be a little back. So maybe walk us through or for the listeners, paint that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a lot we can dive into. So and real quick, before you answer that, are you saying that, my weight shouldn't be on my left side for every pitch like I do in every round. <laughs> yeah, correct. You do oh, not God. need that. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you do not need that. Wow. I would say weight being forward and shaft leaning forward are probably the two biggest causes that I see, the, the, the two biggest igniters of the chipping ifs. Especially yep. when you're on fairway or tight light. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like you got no chance. <laughs> and so, and I think a hugely deep dive into, into all this stuff on my website, which is shortgamechef.com. There's 120 plus videos. I walk people through step-by-step step as to how to get out of the chipping yips, how to pitch the ball, how to bunker it, all that stuff. But one of the things I talk about, which I don't think that, I don't know if I've even talked about it on podcasts, but I came up with this term called ball speed accumulators. And I mean it for shots around the green right? Shots where we're trying to actually slow the ball speed down. So let's just say for a 30-yard pitch shot, ball speed accumulators for a 30-yard pitch shot could include weight forward, could include shaft leaning forward, could include ball position. These are just things that address, right? So if my weight is leaning forward, essentially my attack angle is going to be going more steep. That steep angle of attack is going to shoot the ball out faster. So I've accumulated ball speed just by where my weight is positioned. Let's even bring it down to a shorter yardage. Let's say you'll say you're trying to carry this ball eight yards, right? It's a simple sort of pitch shot, chip shot, however the trajectory you want to hit it. But let's say your carry number is eight yards. Okay. So if I'm leaning all my weight forward and I've got the shaft leaning forward, now, all of a sudden, I've created all this ball speed for an eight-yard carry shot. So what are you going to do from there? At that point, right, I've turned my angle of attack's gone steeper. My shaft is leaning forward, which is taking a 60-degree wedge, let's say, and then now turned it into a 50-degree wedge. Plus, I've leaned my weight forward, so my angle of attack's more down, which is essentially going to de-loft it even more. So now you're basically chipping with a pitching wedge or a nine-iron. Well, how far is your backswing going to have to be if you're chipping an eight-yard shot with a pitching wedge or a nine-iron? It better be really short, and that's sure, not right? usually what I see, right? It usually yeah. gets really <laughs> long. And so all of a sudden, all these things are going off in your head. It doesn't even matter the type of golfer you are. From a scratch handicap to a 25 handicap, it doesn't even matter. You know there's red flags going off in your head. Oh, my God, I'm going to hit this way too far. And so essentially what you do is you freak out and usually back out of it, throw the hands at it. And that's either where you either stick with it and say, oh, I'm going to stick with it. There's three options. You chunk it, you hit the ball cleanly and it goes too far. 
or you back out of it and you blade it. Those are usually the three options that happen. None of them are usually that good. <laughs> and so the next shot that you're going to hit is going to then be in reaction to the miss that you just had on the previous shot. So if you chunked it, pretty much the next time you're going to be like, I don't want to chunk it. I don't want to feel that turf interaction. Let me back out of it and throw it. If you hit it too solid, you're probably going to decelerate on the way down, which usually never creates any spin. And it usually creates something that's not great, right? Because anytime you decelerate into a shot is never a good thing. Or the third one, if you bladed it, most likely that was a reaction to the chunk. But if you bladed it, you're probably going to be like, well, I'm going to make sure I don't blade it. And potentially you'll, you may, I don't know, to me, the blade usually comes from the chunk. But if you blade it to start with, uh, the chances are you're probably going to be like, well, let me throw it further back in my stance. And, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just, yeah. it's all bad. Ev, I know you want to jump in. The weight on the left side is just a comfort mechanism. Sometimes it's even in the full swing. When you have a second shot and you're, you feel like you can't control your hands, you just want to get small and, you know, and knock it down and guide it. Uh, yeah, how many times in every magazine you've seen in the last 40 years, do they talk about, hey, if you want to chip it better, get your weight forward, get your hands forward. It's like, yeah, it may, it may help you hit the ball first, right? But I'd say that's my biggest thing is that I'm not asking you to hit the ball first around the greens. Most of the best players in the world are not trying to hit ball first around the greens. And I think that's potentially one of the biggest misconceptions. And, and I explain the reasons why, you yeah. know, like on my website, I go into super detail. If you're a golf nerd and you, and you love it, check it out because it really talks about things that nobody else is talking about. But it's the things that PGA Tour players keep secret, which is why PGA Tour players are so great, right? It's like they keep these things a secret for a reason. They don't want other players to know about it, but yet people start to find out about it. Short game sort of that last sort of frontier where we've, we've really explored diving deep into distance in the last five years with Bryson and whatnot. But now it's like, to me, I want to be the one leading that forefront of like, hey, how are we modernizing the short game? And I think this is one of the ways is like, stop throwing the ball back, stop leading the hands forward. I watched the other day, I was just hitting some shots around the green the other day. And I watched this, this instructor give a lesson. And this poor guy was chunking it, chunking it, chunking it. And this instructor said to him, he said, we got to punch that bully in the forehead was his terms. So throw that thing even further back. So this thing was now six inches behind his trail foot right? The ball position was six inches, but he's like, just punch that bully in the forehead. And it's like, I don't want you to do that because that's just, cre that's just exacerbating the problem and magnifying it even more, right? Do not start. If you're not having good ball contact and you're hitting the ground first, stop putting it further back in your stance. That is not the solution. You need to, a full recomprehension of what you're trying to do because we're not trying to necessarily hit ball first, I'm not trying to have great compression of the golf ball inside of 50 yards. That is not the goal. So I don't necessarily want to compress the golf ball, have good compression on the face. Sometimes I may actually want to hit the turf before I hit the ball. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick stop. Keep your seatbelts fast and stay seated, and then we'll get you right back on track and back to the show. I got a question for you. Do you want to stay sharp? Do you want to keep getting out of your way? Do you want to keep your mental game at tip-top shape? Well, this was a long-awaited ask for many of you, but we're finally doing it. It's called Train of Thought, our new email newsletter, just launched. And if you want to get one nugget, one insight or thought that we're pondering every week that could keep your game sharp and help your mental game, all you got to do is go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to the Train of Thought newsletter today. We're only going to email you once a week, likely going to be Monday morning, start your week off right, never going to spam you. And guess what? You're going to get early access to all of our merchandise drops. We're going to launch it first, email subscribers, and then we'll launch it on social media, et cetera. So go to thepartrain.com, scroll down. You'll see a little spot to put your email in. Just drop that email in and you hop aboard the train of thought newsletter. All right, let's get back to the show. You might've just gotten your next subscriber, Parker. I mean, I might have to find myself on shortgamechef.com for sure. But one thing that I heard you say that really struck a chord with me, because this is what I've struggled with my whole golfing life. Serm, everyone that I play with, it's like, dude, did you know that 
you're basically taking like a full swing for that 12 yard, 15 yard pick. And like, to me, I felt like I was being compact. And then I wonder why I can't figure out my landing spots and distance control. What is that? Like, why do amateurs struggle with feel versus real with length of short game shots? And how big of an issue is that to stack the odds in our favor? Because people tell me I have great hands. I didn't know I have great hands. I was shocked when Cermak told me I had great hands. You do. But for me, it's like the only thing that's helped my short game in the last year is focusing on my torso and my chest going with me, leading towards the target. That's really helped my contact. And then feeling like my toe stays kind of in the air or like my heel is actually leading the strike has really helped my contact. It's probably square, but like it's helped me not dig more. So I'm throwing those three things at you because I bet you a lot of amateurs struggle with the length of the swing and getting consistency there. What is that? Like, why, how is that holding me back? I see a lot of people that say exactly what you just said. Length of backswing is hugely important, but also hugely detrimental to an amateur, especially. The amateur doesn't necessarily have the awareness of where that club is. That's sort of number one. But number two, it's, which is more important, is they're not really understanding how to correctly pivot back, right? So I actually want more movement with the body, the bigger muscles, and less movement with my arms and my hands. And so the amateur does almost the opposite. They're like, well, it's a short shot. I'm going to keep my body quiet, but I'm going to just move my arms and hands. All of a sudden you start moving this, it gets to your backswing. It gets your, a long backswing pretty quick. So I would say is move your bigger muscles more to create a better pivot. And you won't feel like you need to keep going longer with your arms and hands, some of your smaller muscles. And if you can work on that pivot in your backswing, all of a sudden it will help give it, give it better structure. And then all of a sudden you'll, the rotation that you're feeling on the through swing is a really good thing. But if you're matching that up to a real long backswing, that ball is usually going to be too much right? Yeah. It's usually going to get sent too, too far. So I would say the pivot on the backswing is, is really where people get, they don't really have the, the correct awareness of that. And to me, that's what we focus on first is usually it's set up and then it goes into how to pivot properly on the backswing. Yeah. Or the D cell comes in, right? You take it so back yeah. and long and then D cell for I sure. I think that's where, like I said, Parker, we've got a few more minutes. I've got to get you to just scratch the surface on another misconception for the listeners, because we want everybody to check you out on your website. So bunker play, you know, everyone's taught and I kind of like it too, but get open, you know, outside in. He likes it. Um, but, and I'm watching you and your videos with the full release and being more square, full release, even on, you know, all kinds of shot, all kinds of yardages where I would only kind of full release it if I had to go really up and short like kind of kind of scoop it so talk about maybe misconception about setup in the bunker and swing path like i said just kind of scratch the surface for us yeah i would say that's a huge misconception and it just it's been i don't know who started it however many years ago uh, of aiming way left for a right-handed golfer swinging way out to in leaving the club face open and having the ball deflect towards the hole it's never that consistent it never has that much spin it never has that much height reason being is that if you were to look in your room right there and you look at a target and if you set up way open and you have the club face open you would never actually give it a full type of a release you would hold on yeah it's breaking hole. right yeah it's a yeah, you, you, would, you, would, you would you would hinge it and then you would hold on and hopefully it deflects in the proper direction the modern player is going very far away from that. The modern player is squaring up. The modern player is giving it that full release for most standard bunker shots. Now, different lies, you know, bad lie, they're not going to give it a full release. You know, different lies, they're not going to do that full massive release. But the concept is still the same, is you got to get more square. Path has got to change, right? We're not swinging so far 
out to in anymore and the release pattern changes as well. Like I, if you just thought about, let's say you pick out a target, you look down towards your target right now and you aim, aim your body closed. What would you do? So like look to your left, right? And, and, and see where, where you're going. Now aim your body, right? Yeah. More, yeah, that's open. Now aim yeah. your body more closed. Now, how, how would you release that with a golf club, an imaginary golf club in your hand? How would you release that to that target? Would you drag I, the handle or would no, you fully I, release I, it? I would full release it, right? To get the, it and that's, and that's the release that we want out of the bunker. So I'd almost, I'd almost say play around with that in the yeah. bunker and set up closed, just three, four, five feet closed and see what that does to your release. Well, and another thing is too, like even on the shorter bunker shots, you want, when you got to check and spin them, you got to create speed. You're going to create speed by releasing the club as opposed to holding it off, right? You Correct. can create check a little bit, but especially those long bunker shots, it's so easy to, when you're open and you're going outside in, so easy to just catch up fat because that club is just, you have to get, you have to work so hard to get any kind of speed to hit it 20 or 25. Yeah. And there's a, and there's a time and a place for a chunk and run, no doubt about it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I would rather the chunk and run be done in the proper way versus, you know, just you only having the chunk and run as your only option of a shot. Right. I want you to be able to have the high soft spinner. I want you to be able to have the low chunk and run. I want you to be able to have the 52 degree where you're still opening the face and hitting a longer bunker shot. I want you to be able to have a bunch of options in the bunker. And so I, I think that the place that you have to start, because most people, most people have the chunk and run low one. That's you, you, what most people usually have. Right. Most people don't usually have the high soft spinning one. So we start with understanding how to hit the high soft spinning one. And then we can then teach the low one that sort of chunk and runs. And, yeah. And the drawing of the lines in the bunker is brilliant for all the listeners check Parker out on Instagram where he puts his lines. It's, it's incredible. And it's so simple at short game chef and shortgamechef.com. We're going to let you out of here in a minute. I got to end on this though, Parker, I know you're from Hawaii. One of our partners is Olakai and we love their golf shoes and regular shoes. They've got this whole thing about Aloha golf, right? And this, our mission is helping frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. That's what we're about. I think people in Hawaii know something that, other people don't. So in regards to ending this ride on the train with enjoyment, what do people in Hawaii, what do you know as an Aloha golfer or a Hawaiian golfer that the average player could use to enjoy the ride again? Mm. Well, I will say that Olakai's are the only slippers, not flip-flops, only slippers that I wear. But yeah, I think it starts with just the entire mindset of, of someone from Hawaii. I think one of the things as you look back, at, as I look back and I, I grew up there, it started with family and community, right? Very great sense of family and community there. I think that's, that's number one. I think the other part of it is people stayed in the moment really well. Mm-hmm. It was about work, home life, and enjoyment, right? So you work so that you could pay your rent. You could get some poke and some beer. And that off time then gave you the time to go and enjoy that poke and beer down at the beach. And people just kept it really simple. And so they were able to stay in the present. And that was sort of the mindset in Hawaii was just to enjoy the present, be able to work enough so that you can make enough money so that then you could enjoy your time away from work and you could enjoy your time at the beach or hiking or being in the ocean, swimming with the dolphins. Like that's legitimately the thought process of, of people in Hawaii. Most of the people that grew up there, they're not necessarily thinking about, man, if I do this, then I can do this, then I can do this, then I can go here, then I can do that. It wasn't that planned out. It was very much the spirit of staying in the moment, enjoying the present, being connected with nature, and really just staying in that present moment. So I would say, as it relates to golf, staying in that present moment is really that absence of thought, that absence of, oh, what do I have to do next, that checklist. Stay away from that checklist. Stay away from what do I have to do next? Stay more in that present moment. Be absent-minded and be able to enjoy the walk. Enjoy being creative. Like, you know, like I was talking about putting. Enjoy that creativity. Enjoy that challenge of, man, I get a chance to make this putt. I would say that's probably my biggest takeaway would be stay in the present. Enjoy the moment. Be 
be really present when you're playing your golf, the same way that a person who grew up in Hawaii enjoys the present, stays in the moment, enjoys nature. I would say that's sort of the commonality between the two. It's fantastic. I love it. Well, Parker, thanks so much for hopping aboard. Anything you didn't cover today that you'd like to end on or anything you've said that you want to reiterate before we let you go? I think next one we'll dive deeper into like chipping yips because I think that's a huge, you know, struggle for people. I've helped 30 people or so out of the chipping yips. And I think there's a way, I think there's a way to do it. I think I've figured out how to get people out of the chipping yips. And I think that maybe next time we'll, we'll dive deep into that because I think that could be a, that could be a really interesting, interesting, uh, hour long segment for sure be great to have you back awesome awesome well we're big fans at short game chef shortgamechef.com i might be your next subscriber so thank you parker we appreciate it we'll happy to have you back anytime we'll get that scheduled take care guys have fun in hawaii hey guys this is evan real quick before you hop off the train i got something for you it's called the train of thought it's our new email newsletter Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to the Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.